All right, welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of the Final Final Podcast here. Thanks for tuning in to listen. Lots to discuss today as we have sports returning and games being broadcast on TV for the first time in what seems like forever. The question is now, how long will it last or will it last? We'll get to that early in this episode, as in the MLB is already having troubles with the beginning of their season. We'll also get to basketball returning in the next couple of days, I believe tomorrow on Thursday, as they get their bubble season restarted. We're excited to see how that plays out and if they can safely finish their season off. So far, it's uh, been looking good for the NBA, so we'll see how uh, their restarted season goes and if they can finish out uh, and we'll get an NBA champion. I've got my NFL predictions rolling on today as well, and then we'll get to some other major news in the NFL to finish off this episode. Lots of good stuff to catch up with and lots of news to discuss as well, so let's go ahead and get started with the major news, of course, coming down in the MLB and the Miami Marlins. This, of course, is in reference to the COVID-19 breakout with the Miami Marlins, where they have, I believe now they are up to 15 or 16 players that have tested positive for the coronavirus and two coaches in recent tests for the Marlins. So the MLB yesterday postponed all the Marlins games until Sunday. So I think that's six games of theirs that have been postponed. Also something that is being considered right now is the last opponent that they faced, which was the Philadelphia Phillies, who have had their schedule rearranged right now as well. The Phillies were actually supposed to face the Yankees, I believe, in an upcoming series starting yesterday and today. And then the Marlins were supposed to face off against the Orioles these next few days. And instead, now we have the Yankees facing off against the Orioles so they can continue their respective seasons. But the bigger concern here is what's next for the MLB? Well, so far, we have the Philadelphia Phillies right now. They've had zero positive tests after facing the Miami Marlins. So the past two days, nobody has tested positive. That's a good sign for the beginning of this, at least for the MLB to work its way through something like this. But, I mean, it could still pop up. I believe it's two weeks, they say, as the incubation period for the for the coronavirus. But it's believed that the Miami Marlins might have had a player or multiple players in the game against the Phillies with the virus. I mean, they probably weren't showing symptoms, obviously, is why they were in the game without anybody knowing. But so that's what the concern is, is that if the Marlins had it and they pass it on to the Phillies, then if the Phillies were to go on face their next opponent and all of a sudden we've got teams populating with the coronavirus left and right. So, so far a good sign that no Phillies have tested positive, but we're still getting a couple of Marlins testing positive each day. I think a new one was today as well. So that gets us up to our number of either 18 or 19 total Miami Marlins players and coaches and staff. But so the Phillies right now, they look okay. Hopefully they'll be able to get their season restarted or or continue their schedule in the next coming days. Next is the question is, what do we do about the Miami Marlins? So their next opponent was supposed to be the Washington Nationals, who have voted as a team that they don't want to travel to Florida and to face them at the end of the week. How do we get the Marlins back into the flow of the schedule? How can we continue to move the season forward while having all teams play the same season? So I believe, like I said, the Marlins have had their season postponed until next Sunday, so like I said, six games. And how they set up this quick 60-game schedule for the MLB is 60 games in 66 days. So they've 
put in a couple of days for teams to make up some of these postponed games like the Marlins have right now. But the question is how they have to refigure out traveling and such like that. So how do we continue to get, how do we get the Marlins back on track? They can field a full team of players. That's why the MLB and the Players Association for for Major League Baseball put in that teams could have expanded rosters or an extra roster ready with extra players, not necessarily traveling with the team at all times. But they've tried to prepare for this. But the, you got to somehow get the team back into their schedule so that they don't miss too many games, whereas in all of a sudden now they have a season where they only play 55 games. You don't want that. That's something that the MLB doesn't want to do. They want to get the Marlins back into the flow of a schedule as soon as they can, as soon as it's safe for them, right? So that's the that's the next thing. Can the season continue or does it need to be paused was, was something that was brought up. A lot of teams, of course, seeing this happen with the Miami Marlins, concerning them a lot. Like I said, the Washington Nationals not wanting to travel to Florida to face them. Hopefully it doesn't call for the season to be paused. But the thing about this too, every other major sports league is going to be watching this very closely on how the MLB handles this, especially the NFL. The NBA, a lot of soccer leagues, the WNBA have adopted the bubble methods, which is, to this point, have seemed to work very successfully. We'll get to that in a second. The NFL and MLB did not, which is reasonable, considering how many players are on each team and how tough that would be. For example, the NFL, how tough that would be for for a full season. 32 teams with each having about 65 to 70 players if you count the normal I think it's what 53 to 56 now and then they've now expanded their practice squads to 16 players so you're close to 70 players or a little over 70 players trying to bubble 70 players for 32 teams for 16 weeks possibly even or 17 weeks possibly even more when those teams make the playoffs I don't know that's why you don't see the NFL and the MLB making uh, or having those bubble seasons like the NBA and soccer leagues. But now we have a breakout like this in the MLB. The NFL is going to be watching how they handle this because they might have a situation in case where one arises of their own like this, which is more likely than not considering the number of players on NFL teams versus that compared to MLB teams. So the next step, of course, is, is of course, protecting the safety of of the players on the Miami Marlins, but then how do you, as quickly as possible, get them back into the flow of the schedule? Because now one thing, too, is is it possible that the Marlins just don't play this year if all of a sudden they start to fall behind and and guys continue to test positive? I think we saw that with a a soccer league where a team just all of a sudden dropped out of the league for that remaining of the year. I don't think that's going to be the case for the Marlins because then you have a, a a scheduling problem with the rest of the teams that are supposed to face them. I don't know. But the really interesting part about the this happening in the MLB right out of the gate too, a couple days, maybe like two games, three games after, after opening night, is this is what the fear was when you don't have this bubble method that other leagues have adopted. So NFL and college football, I think the NHL has adopted a bubble method for returning their season. But the NFL and college football are really going to be paying close attention to this and how you kind of come back from this and how you are able to move on from it. Hopefully, Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball in the Miami Marlins and the rest of the MLB, 
are able to work their way through this. I mean, we haven't seen many other, we haven't seen any other breakouts in terms of, of other teams in the MLB. Hopefully this is just a one team thing and they're able to move past it. And if they are, if it happens again, hopefully they'll be able to learn from this one, but they just have to be able to get the Miami Marlins back into the flow of a regular schedule to keep the regular season moving on. Because like I said, it's 60 games in 66 days. Now the Miami Marlins weren't a team that were going to make the playoffs. Even with this, you still want all the teams in the regular season to make sure that everyone has a fair schedule. So hopefully they'll be able to resolve that soon. Another thing too, with the coronavirus in, in baseball, we saw it on opening night, Juan Soto, the star right fielder for the Washington Nationals, he tested positive for the coronavirus. He'll have to have two negative COVID-19 tests before he can return. He's uh, one of their guys that helped lead them to the World Series last year and a World Series championship. So teams might have to deal with superstar players contacting it, not necessarily a breakout like the Miami Marlins, but say for the Brewers, if Christian Yelich tested positive and no other Brewer, they, of course, would continue to play their games but now they'd have to do it for possibly a week without their MVP from two years ago. So teams will be will have to react to that. Now the, the question with Juan Soto's test was, is it possible that it was a false positive? I believe he, he said he wasn't feeling any symptoms, but he had to sit out opening night. I think he sat out five games now. So teams will, it's, it's not a perfect system. Of course, we've known with this testing, but it's still safer to be tested and, and keep testing these players than to not, of course. But false positives and when guys actually test positive and star players is something that teams are going to have to deal with. The teams with more depth and which ones will be able to survive if a guy like this goes down. So for the Dodgers, for example, if Mookie Betts goes down or Cody Bellinger goes down, if one of those goes down, they've got the depth behind their superstars to put in a role player to continue and, and win games. Now, a team like the Nationals, World Series champions last year. They lost a lot of guys this offseason. They might not necessarily have the depth to lose a guy like Juan Soto for two weeks at a time in a 60-game regular season. So that'll be really interesting. But the nice thing that the MLB, or I don't know if the MLB necessarily did this for the players or for the teams, but a nice thing for teams if they lose a player for a week or two is this year, the MLB has gone to a 16-team postseason. So there's going to be three added postseason teams per conference. So the American League is going to have eight teams. The National League is going to have eight teams compared to the regular five that they used to have where they had the three division winners and then two wild cards. Now what it's going to be for this year alone, just one year so far, it could change for next year. And I'm sure once you add teams like this, teams and, and owners and the MLB want more teams in the postseason. So this could this could stay for years to come. But so far, just for this year, they're having eight teams per division. That means each or per conference, excuse me. That means each division, the top two teams will make it to the postseason. And then they'll just take the next two best records in each conference. So say the Cubs win the Central Division. The Brewers are second. They're both in the playoffs, say for the National League East. It's the Mets and the Braves. Those two would make the playoffs for the National League West, say it's the Dodgers and the Rockies. Then the next two best records could possibly be, let's say, the, the Cardinals and then the Nationals. So there's eight teams instead of the normal five 
then they'll have a, a regular one versus eight, two versus seven, three versus six, four versus five kind of postseason then in baseball, working their way up to a World Series. So I like the idea of adding six more teams to the postseason this year. It gives the opportunity for, I mean, obviously owners and, and MLB teams like it because they'll have more revenue if they make the postseason come come the fall time. But I like it too because with a shortened season, a team could have a, I mean, not you can't really have a slump like you see most most teams have in a, any given year with 162 regular game schedule. But if you do have a small one of a four-game losing streak, a five-game losing streak, it ne- doesn't necessarily put you out of postseason range right away because of the added teams or the added slots in the postseason for teams this year. So a team like the Dodgers, that should be probably the number one seed in the National League, say they have a five-game losing streak and all of a sudden slip below their division lead or something in the Colorado Rockies right now who are off to a really hot start are in the lead for for the National League West and all of a sudden the Dodgers who could be a heavy favorite to who are a heavy favorite to win the World Series have a have a little slump like that you still want that team in the postseason so this way you get all the best teams in the postseason then in the postseason they're doing best of three so it's still any like a Rockies versus Dodgers in the postseason could be interesting still it's not just a given that in a seven game series where the better team will win it's not ncaa march madness where a one and done or not a wild card matchup where a one and done kind of deal but still i like this so you get all the best teams in the postseason you could have a couple surprise teams in the postseason and then you've got three game series i believe up until you either get to the national league and american league championship series or until it's the world series i don't know if there's still going to be seven games for those hopefully they will be but either way, I like the addition for just this year only. I hope they don't keep it this way for years to come because, I mean, then you have over half the league making the postseason where I think I liked baseball's old way where it was 10 of the 30 teams, so a third of the teams making the postseason. I like that better than over half the teams making it into the playoffs. So we'll see about that. And then the last thing about baseball too, Mookie Betts, I mentioned him in passing earlier in this episode, but the 27-year-old outfielder who got traded this offseason, the big blockbuster trade from the Boston Red Sox to the Los Angeles Dodgers, he just signed a new 12-year, $365 million contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Hasn't even swung the bat once yet for them, and he's getting this kind of deal. Again, with these 10-plus-year contract extensions, I like them for some guys. The Mike Trout, I understood it for... Um, Patrick Mahomes in the NFL, of course, that's a different circumstance. But with these guys, you're going to be paying Mookie Betts. He's 27 years old right now. You're going to be paying him close to $40 million per year when he's 39 years old, 38 years old. You don't know if he's going to be the same guy, and I keep coming back to the same players when discussing these deals. Albert Pujols, Alex Rodriguez, he didn't play the last two years of his deal with the Yankees. Albert Pujols is still playing at around, I think he's 40 right now, and he's still getting paid. I think his deal was around close to $300 million. I think it was maybe $275 million. He's getting paid almost $28 million per year, and he is statistically hurting the Los Angeles Angels when, when he's swinging the bat and, and playing defense for them because of his age. He was one of the best players at the time when he was with the Cardinals and maybe at the beginning of his deal with the Angels. 
But remember, you get him at the end of these of these deals too. So that always concerns me with these long-term deals. I mean, the Mike Trout one, I think his was 13 years when he was 26. Mike, But Mike Trout's a, a different player. We're literally watching the greatest player of all time in baseball history in Mike Trout. So that's a guy that you, you keep no matter what. But Mookie Betts, really good player, a former MVP for the Boston Red Sox. I don't know, though. 12 years, you're going to be paying him close to $40 million when he's almost 40 years old. So we'll see how that works out for them. But the Dodgers are one of the heavy favorites for the, the World Series this year. And Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, the list goes on and on for reasons why that the Dodgers are probably the favorite to win the World Series this year. We'll see if this works out for them in the long run. It works out for them, of course, in the short one, short run. Mookie Betts on their team for the next five, six years in his prime right now. My my problem is always at the end of these deals, so we'll see. All right, let's move on now to the NBA as the NBA is restarting their season this Thursday. So I believe that is tomorrow. We'll start out with, I believe, Jazz versus Pelicans will be our first game, and then we'll have Lakers versus Clippers. Their new bubble or their bubble has seemed to be working. They have had zero reported COVID-19 positive tests for players and personnel inside the bubble since I believe it was it was July 19th, so maybe over a week and a half ago now, close to 2 weeks most likely. I mean, it seems to be working. If play, players can leave the bubble if they need to, we've seen it. Zion Williamson has left the bubble, Lou Williams, a prominent uh figure for the Los Angeles Clippers, Montrez Harrell, another Clippers uh, role player that's that's really uh, important for their team. We've seen these guys leave the bubble, take care of family emergencies. They've come back. The rules are if you leave and come back, you have to quarantine for a minimum of four days, could be longer, depending on the circumstances. They ask you questions when you return. It seems to be working. Zero reported positive tests. I mean, so a lot of people are going to be asking, should the MLB and the NFL adopt these bubble scenarios and bubble methods as well if they want their seasons to continue? And and we'll have to see. I mean, right now it's not looking good for the MLB, as I mentioned earlier. The NFL, we're seeing some players right now test positive as they are reporting to training camp. Right now, I believe the first four days of this training camp with the new deal that they signed the first four days is all about testing to get guys to test negative two to three times before they actually come into the building and start working out and before they ramp up to the start of their regular season, which is September 10th for the Chiefs and Texans and September 13th for everybody else. But with the NBA having zero reported COVID-19 tests, that's good That's good news for the bubble method and, and every, everybody in favor of, of having a bubble. We'll see if the NFL and MLB can make it work without this bubble. It's it's tough to put 32 teams with, like I said, 70 players into a bubble scenario with these teams so spread out. I mean, it's not like you can just have everyone playing on one football field. You need at least 16 football fields almost every Sunday. So, I mean, that's, that's not super easy to do in it, all the setup and stuff like that. So I understand... Um, why there's no NFL bubble, but still good to see that the NBA bubble is working right now. They are coming up, like I said, on the restart of their eight game regular season. This is a ramp up to the playoffs and we'll have to see We're the reason we also have this eight game regular season for the teams that aren't in the playoffs right now have a chance to get into the playoffs. 
I mean, there's in the Western Conference, we've got the Trailblazers and the Pelicans, who are only three games behind the eight seed right now. So this way, it gives everybody a fair chance to still try and make the playoffs, even in this shortened, unique season that we have in the NBA. But excited for the NBA to get started. I'll tell you what, I miss uh, competitive basketball. I actually was, they had scrimmages on TV this past week for the players to get back into some kind of game shape before they actually just start games that count. And, and here I am watching scrimmages on TV of, of NBA players. That's how uh, bad it's gotten in terms of sports not being back. But now we have the MLB for now, fingers crossed. <laughs> and then soon tomorrow we'll have the NBA back as well. So it's all starting to come back. NFL training camp starting. Very excited. Keep your fingers crossed, of course, that nothing goes wrong here. <laughs> All right, so we'll keep rolling here with my 2020 NFL records predictions. Remember last week I did the NFC and AFC West with the Chiefs, the 49ers, the Seahawks, and teams like that. This week I'm doing the NFC and AFC North. So we'll have teams like Baltimore and Green Bay and Minnesota and Pittsburgh. We'll go over their records and why I think uh, those teams will end up where they are this season. Yeah, just just based on this unique offseason, their upcoming schedule, and their new rosters, how these teams end up where they are. We'll start with the AFC North here. I've got Baltimore winning this division once again, going 13-3. I think with my projections, that puts them in the two seed in the AFC behind the Kansas City Chiefs, who I had, I believe, going 14-2. Then, following Baltimore, I had Pittsburgh going 9-7. That's a good enough record to get them a wild card spot. Cleveland, the Browns going 8-8 eight and eight this year, coming off of, I believe, a 6-10 and 10 or a 6-9-1 season. And then Cincinnati off of having the number one pick in Joe Burrow. I have them going 5-11 and 11 in my predictions here. And then in the NFC North, I have Green Bay winning this one, the division back-to-back, going 11-5. That's good enough for the three seed in the NFC. I believe that's... The 49ers are in the two seed, so we'll see who's the one seed later on in other episodes here. I've got Minnesota going 9-7. and seven. That leaves them just on the outside looking in of a wild card spot, even with this expanded new playoffs. I've got Detroit then going 6-10, and 10, and then Chicago at the bottom of this projections going 5-11 and 11 as well. We'll start with Baltimore going 13-3. Baltimore may be even better than last year off of that 14-2 and two season that they had, especially on the defensive side. They added Calais Campbell. They traded a fifth-round pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars and got a stud of a defensive tackle in Calais Campbell. Still, even at age 33-32, he's a pro bowler. He's a former all-pro. This guy will help stop the run for them, which we saw last year in the playoffs was a major problem for them, trying to stop Derrick Henry. They also drafted... Patrick Queen, the linebacker out of LSU. (laughs) More run defense right there. He can also cover in the flats. He's a do-it-all linebacker, so their defense improved. They added another weapon on offense in J.K. Dobbins to their run game. We know, I believe, the Ravens were the number one rushing team last year in the NFL, of course, behind Mark Ingram and Lamar Jackson. Now you throw in J.K. Dobbins, who can also be a threat in the passing game as well. I don't know. Somehow their offense can get even better. And then, of course, you have Lamar Jackson, who is motivated off of last year's playoff loss. I think this team is going to be just fine. The Ravens are going to be another tough team 
and I'm excited to watch Lamar Jackson coming off of his MVP season and see what he's uh, what he's got for us here in, uh, I think he's in year three or four now, so that'll be exciting. So then I have Pittsburgh as a wildcard team. This, is, this team's kind of being slept on, I think, because a lot of people are picking the Cleveland Browns as a wildcard team from this division, but I think it's going to be Pittsburgh. I mean, last year they went 8-8 eight and eight with Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges as their, as their QBs. You put Big Ben in there, Ben Roethlisberger, if he can stay healthy, I believe that he can get this team back into the postseason with that defense. That's a top-five defense they have on the other side of the ball. T.J. Watt rushing the passer. they got Cameron Hayward in the middle stopping the run. They've got Devin Bush in that linebacking core. Then they've got Minka Fitzpatrick and cornerbacks galore. This is a top-five defense, and with better quarterback play, which you would expect and hope to get from Big Ben over Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges combined, I think this team can go 9-7. and seven. You've got one of the better coaches in the NFL and Mike Tomlin as well. If Big Ben can stay healthy, I think this team is back into the playoffs over Cleveland. And the reason why I don't have Cleveland in the playoffs over Pittsburgh Steelers, they may have more talent on this team, but they have a new coach, a new system, and not a ton, and not a ton of time to work out and, and get all the little things fixed for this new offense that they're going to have. There's going to be struggles with a new offense, but in this unique and crazy offseason, they're not going to have a ton of time to work on it and work on the details of making this offense great. Now, there's a ton of talent on this team, so it's it's hard to not put them close to the playoffs. That's why I have them going 8-8. Eight and eight. But with a new coach and new system, I, I just think that that's going to be the thing that hinders them this upcoming season. I think next year, if they have, hopefully it'll be a regular offseason then. If Baker Mayfield is still the quarterback, if Kevin Stefanski is still the coach, they'll have a regular offseason. It'll be year two as well. Then I think we might be able to see the Cleveland Browns in the playoffs if they keep all this talent on this team. They have an improved offensive line. They got Jack Conklin, the big offensive tackle from the Titans. This team, like I said, it has all the talent. It just gave Miles Garrett, their stud uh, pass rusher, a new a new deal as well. They've got OBJ, Jarvis Landry, Austin Hooper, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. They've got it all. I just think with the new coach and the unique offseason that they're they're going to struggle out of out of the gate, and then it might be too late. That's why I have them going 8-8. Eight and eight. And then Cincinnati to finish off the AFC North. It's going to be a tough with a weird offseason. Same thing for the Browns. I mean, you've got a rookie QB in Joe Burrow, second-year head coach. I mean, they, they still have a poor defense as well. I didn't think even with a regular offseason, this team would still struggle with a second-year coach and a rookie QB. I mean, rookie QBs, you don't see many of them succeed or wildly succeed in their rookie season sometimes it takes till year two or three for them to really succeed and especially with uh with an offseason like this i think you'll see some struggle from the bengals they have a questionable old line as well so can joe burrow stay protected and then aj green can he stay healthy and help joe burrow develop and and help him a lot in his rookie year so we'll see but that's why i have cincinnati at five and eleven all right and then if we go over to the nfc north remember the packers winning the NFC North at 11 and 5, Vikings at 9 and 7, Lions at 6 and 10, and then the Bears at 5 and 11. So, the Packers, year 2, Rodgers in the floor, continuity, I think that is going to be the biggest thing for success in this upcoming NFL season. With this 
unique offseason. You're going to hear me say this a lot when I talk about why I think this team will be successful and why I don't, and why maybe I don't think this other team will be successful. The continuity, not only between the players that you put on the field, but the coaches that you have behind the scenes. So your offensive coordinator, your defensive coordinator, do you have the same coaching systems? Do you have the same head coach and offensive coordinator? The Packers have that going for them here with Rodgers in the floor, and then they've also got Mike Pettin, and they kept their offensive coordinator as well. They return a lot of starters on this team. There's not a ton of turnover. Like I said, it's important with the coaches. It's important with the players on the field too. They'll know the system going into year two of Matt LaFleur's system. You don't have to rely on a lot of new guys or rookies to step in and play prominent roles. That is what I think is going to be key for a lot of these teams, and I think it'll help the Packers. Like a couple of the big changes, Rick Wagner at offensive tackle, maybe Christian Kirksey at linebacker. You don't, I mean, maybe Jay Sternberger is the new starting tight end, but he's been in the system for a couple years. You're not starting a lot of new guys all over the place. It'll be a lot of the same players, Rodgers throwing to the same receivers. I think that'll help the Packers a lot. There is a couple of concerns with the right side of the offensive line for the Packers. Rick Wagner is a bit of a downgrade from Brian Balaga. We'll have to see what they do at right guard too. Billy Turner, Lane Taylor, we'll have to see. So there's some concerns there. No wide receiver upgrade or run defense upgrade for the Packers. We just saw Devin Funches, the new acquisition they made this offseason, decide to opt out of this upcoming season due to COVID-19 concerns that he has. We'll talk about that in a second as well. And then the Jordan Love presence. I think that might light a little bit of a fire under Aaron Rodgers as well. So that's how I've got the Packers at 11-5, and winning the NFC North this year. The Minnesota Vikings, a talented team, but they have a lot of turnover on this team. Like I said, that's going to be an issue for a lot of teams, I think. They lose guys like Stefan Diggs, Everson Griffin right now. They lost, I believe, three starters in their secondary. They lost their offensive coordinator in Kevin Stefanski. He went to go coach, be the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Is Delvin Cook going to hold out? That seem, that's a question that still needs to be answered. He's been reporting right now to do his COVID-19 testing at the beginning of, of training camp here, but we'll see. They might have to rely too much on rookies. Like I said, they lost three starters in their secondary. They drafted, I believe, is Mike Hughes in the first round to be their new number one corner. And they have some struggles along that O-line. So that's why I've got Minnesota at 9-7, and seven, just missing the playoffs here. And then Detroit, Matt Stafford's health is going to be key here. This team is still missing some pieces to be a complete team, the Detroit Lions. But if Matt Stafford can stay healthy, he can sling the ball to whoever's on the field, and we'll see that. We saw that they traded away Darius Slay, replaced him with Jeff Okuda. I mean, he, it's, he's a rookie, and he's having this, this unique offseason. You'll hear me say that time and time again. But this will be a prove-it year for Matt Patricia and the Detroit Lions if I don't know what the what the number is, what the magic number is going to be for Matt Patricia to hit so that he keeps his job. But he, if he's one of the one of the lower teams in the NFL this season, I don't know if he'll be sticking around. So this is a prove it year for Matt Patricia in the in the Detroit Lions for him to keep his job. And so that'll we'll see. Hopefully they they can figure that out and Matt Patricia can keep his can keep his job as head coach there. And then the Bears at five and eleven. This one's kind of surprising. For me even too, but I just think they're going to have a QB controversy that'll hang over them all year. Mitch Trubisky, Nick Foles. We heard today actually from Matt Nagy that 
they can switch quarterbacks from week in to week out. Whichever guy's playing better, whichever guy's playing crappy, they'll tell him to his face. These guys will have to worry about it every time they step on the field. If I throw this interception, am I going to get benched immediately? If I th- if I mess this up, am I going to be taken out the next game, or am I not going to start the next game? That's something that I don't know if how that'll play in Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles' head. I think that's more of a problem for Trubisky than Foles, but still, I think that's something that they're gonna that's gonna gonna be hanging over their head all season. So that's one thing that I think they're gonna have struggles with. Can they get this defense back? to what it was two years ago when Vic Fangio, now head coach of the Denver Broncos, was their defensive coordinator, and they were the runaway number one defense in the NFL. They dropped off big time last year. They weren't able to make up for some mistakes that maybe Mitch Trubisky and the offense were making in the first year when they won the division at 12-4. and four. You saw that this past year. So if their defense can be dominant once again, I think this team has a chance to be in a lot of ball games. But it's their offense that is going to be the question mark for this team. And I just don't know. Even if they can get that quarterback situation figured out, will they have a consistent run game to go along with it? But, I mean, they have questions at quarterback. I think they have some questions in the running game as well. That's why I've got the Bears at the bottom of this division. So, recap there. I've got Packers as the three seed in the NFC, 11-5 and winning the NFC North. Minnesota Vikings just missing out on a wild card spot with a 9 and 7 record. And then in the AFC we've got Baltimore at 13 and 3 getting that number 2 slot in the AFC and then the Steelers as well making it in a wild card spot with a 9 and 7 record. Browns just missing out with a record of 8 and 8. Next week I believe I'm going to be doing AFC and NFC South predictions. So we'll see where the Saints Tom Brady and the Buccaneers end up, and then we'll see with that AFC South. That is a that is a pretty competitive division with the Colts, Titans, and the Texans. All teams, all three of those teams could be the division winner, so we'll see about those on my next episode. All right, so let's get to my final thought then today on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. NFL, tra- NFL training camps have begun this week. And the big story coming out is they're doing COVID testing just for this first week. Next week, you might start to see some players working out with the team. Maybe we'll see some on-field drills, on-field workouts. That's the thing right now. But the big news with it starting this week is players having the chance to drop out of this upcoming NFL season with the opt-out clause that their players union was negotiating for when they were in this negotiations with the with the NFL and the owners for this unique upcoming season. Players had the option to opt out for this season, have no repercussions. They actually get, I believe it's, so players, if you opt out, is $150,000 for the season. Your contract gets pushed back here. You come back next year. At high or high at risk players get $350,000. You can walk away. And we're starting to see the impact of this clause that these players can take advantage of. And a lot of players are. The first one was Chiefs starting right guard who played for them in the Super Bowl. He decided to opt out because he's a doctor, actually. So the reason he's opting out is so he can continue to help people in his community and be a doctor this offseason. And then we saw a lot of players yesterday from the Patriots, or I believe it's six players, three starters, I believe, for them actually dropping out. So Dante Hightower, an outside linebacker for them, he's opting out. 
for this season. Patrick Chung, a starting safety slash corner for them, is opting out. Marcus Cannon, their starting offensive tackle, he's dropped out. The Bears and the Vikings, they've had two notable guys drop out. They're starting defensive tackles. The Packers have had wide receiver Devin Funches opt out for this season as well. I mentioned that earlier in this episode. These guys are dropping out because of concerns not only for their own health, but for their health of their family. Devin Funches, a lot of these guys have young children or their wives or girlfriends are pregnant and expecting children in the coming days, weeks, and months, so they're worried about that. Some of these guys have family members, older parents, grandparents even as well that they're concerned about, so they don't want to put them at risk by interacting with 70 guys on their team. Even though these teams have been taking a lot of great precautions, we've been seeing a lot on social media and in the news of what these teams have done to reinvent their facilities. We've seen from the Chargers moving a lot of their weight room outside. I saw today with the Detroit Lions, they've been putting dividers in between lockers. They've got contact tracers on these guys. Everybody gets tested when they come in. Temperature checks. You've got these contact tracers, so if someone does test positive, they can look at that tracer and see who he's been in contact with, hopefully catch it right there and and get those guys tested and quarantined. Just try and and nip it in the bud before before it becomes a big outbreak like we've seen with the Miami Marlins. But still, these guys are opting out. They have that option to do so. The funny thing is you see these guys and all these people on social media criticizing them for dropping out when, like I just mentioned, all these safety precautions... But it's just, why would you criticize someone for opting out when they get paid? Hey, take $150,000, take the year off, keep yourself safe, keep your family safe. You would do the exact same thing in your job if it was offered to take a year off with this, this uh, compensation money, come back the next year, your job's not affected, your contract's not affected. So it, it's just funny that the hypocritical uh, comments that you see from social media, from all these tough guys saying, I can't believe he's opting out right now. That just uh, makes me chuckle a little bit when you see those. But anyways, that's the big news coming out. And, and the rumor is, too, is that there's even more high-profile high guys, Pro Bowl guys. Actually, one that I forgot to mention is Damian Williams, the Super Bowl hero for the Chiefs, who had that late fourth-quarter touchdown that ended up sealing it for them to win the Super Bowl. He's decided to opt out this year as well. I mean, a starting left tackle for the New York Giants, Nate Solder, he's opted out too. I mean, it's in, this isn't the deadline for the opt-out day. The, I'm saying all these names right now. These guys have, I believe, until August, I think it's 4th right now. Up until August 4th, these guys can decide to opt out, sign their opt-out clause, and they won't have to play this season. So we still might have see some high-profile Pro Bowl guys. The rumor is there's a couple, or there's some that are deliberating it with their families and with their coaches and with their organizations. They're thinking long and hard about it because of the the safety measures that they want to take for their families and for themselves. A lot of these guys may be considered higher risk because of how big they are, and and we've seen some of the conditions that um, the coronavirus has uh, attacked, and and we've seen who it hurts more in situations like this. And NFL players, some of them, Offensive linemen, defensive linemen fit that category. So that's why you see some of these guys opting out this year. So it'll be interesting to see who some of the biggest names are that decide to opt out by the time that deadline, August 4th, comes around. But the interesting thing, too, about this opt-out clause is once you sign it, you can't come back in the middle of the regular season. So if there's 
a vaccine or a cure or it starts to become safer later in the season, these guys won't be able to opt back in, say, week 9, 10, when maybe this is under control or hopefully it's under control by then or something like that. These guys won't be able to opt in at that point. So we'll see with if what some of the, the bigger names are that we'll see that opt out by the time that August 4th or 5th deadline comes rolling around. Another thing, too, with this unique offseason, this NFL training camp coming up, zero preseason games for this offseason and ramp up to the start of the NFL season. That's why you've been hearing me say continuity and between the coaches, between QB and the coach, between all the players on the field, management and impactful rookies. That's why I continue to say continuity and the amount of returning guys that you can have on a football team is going to be key for the start of this season and for, I believe, until at least halfway through this season because you don't have OTAs, you don't have a regular training camp, you don't have now preseason games either for teams to prepare for a regular season. So teams that get off to this fast start are going to be teams that I think return a lot of guys from last year and have the same coach in place. So a team like the Carolina Panthers, they have a new starting quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater. They have a new head coach in Matt Rule. I think that's going to be a team that struggles. Same thing with the Washington football team, new head coach in Ron Rivera, and even teams that are, are starting rookie quarterbacks or new quarterbacks. So New England could be a team. Well, New England's just an outlier because of Bill Belichick. We, we won't go there, but a team like the Cincinnati Bengals that I mentioned earlier, a new quarterback in, in Joe Burrow and a rookie too are teams that I think are going to struggle. So we'll have to see what uh, what teams are able to do with this unique offseason with some of these virtual meetings that they've had and they've been doing. And now with the start of the ramp up to the NFL season, no preseason games. Hopefully, the, the, the hope too with the fact that there's no preseason games, hopefully weeks one and two of the regular season, we don't just see a slew of, of guys getting injured because they didn't have enough time to get into football shape and game shape. Hopefully we don't see that at the beginning of the NFL season because we don't have this regular long and, and huge ramp-up period to begin the NFL season. Let's, let's hope for that as well. Cross your fingers there. All right, and then final, final thought today on the final, final podcast this episode, pumping in crowd noise. I wanted to get my thoughts in on this because I've seen not only with these new NBA scrimmages but for these MLB games as well, and something that Fox Sports is doing. So they're pumping in crowd noise, so it kind of sounds normal for the players in the stadiums. But one thing that, that, that Fox Sports did as well was they had virtual fans in the stands and behind home plate. So some, some stadiums are having cardboard cutouts, which is, which is kind of fun. But Fox Sports took it a step further and had virtual fans. So just by watching it on TV, it looks like there's fans in the stands. I mean, it doesn't really look like it because... It's obviously virtual and they don't look real. But it's interesting, and, and Fox, Fox Sports is pumping in their own crowd noise other than what the crowd noise is that the stadium is pumping in to make it a little bit normal for the players. I like, I'll tell you this, I like the crowd noise that the, that the stadiums are putting in for the players. It, that sounds a little bit normal in the background when watching on TV. I don't mind that there's not fans for these baseball games, at least. I haven't watched... We'll have to see how it works for the NBA. I mean, we haven't got to watch full scrimmages or full NBA games. It's just scrimmages at this point, so it's not 
intense down to the down to the wire in the fourth quarter yet as it is has been in MLB games where we've seen extra inning games and games come close in the in the ninth inning but I like the noise that the the MLB stadiums are pumping in but the but the Fox Sports virtual fans I think is just unnecessary and, and doesn't work very well because sometimes you'll see when a guy gets a hit they'll switch the camera view and all of a sudden now there's no fans because they don't have it on on that camera view but when they have it the camera behind the pitcher sure you'll see fans there or if a guy has a hit and it's a home run they'll have fans for that camera that the one that's behind home plate it's just uh back and forth where they have virtual fans and they have no fans it's just it's just too much and it's too distracting and i think fox sports is trying to do a little bit too much but they've said they'll do this for nfl games as well which is concerning i mean some teams might be able to have fans in in the middle of the season we know uh Teams like in New York and in Los Angeles won't have any fans in their stands all season, I believe. But uh, Fox Sports just seems to be doing a little bit too much with their virtual fans and their own pumping in of, of crowd noise that's only heard by the audience watching on TV. But the the regular in the stadiums, I believe the NBA is doing it too, in the stadiums crowd noise is fine. That actually sounds a little bit normal you just don't see fans so you're not thinking about it in that sense but the the virtual fans is a little over the top but you got to appreciate the effort by fox sports to try and make it as normal and and business as usual for for their broadcast so so i applaud them there all right well that is all i have for you on this episode of the final final podcast Next week, I'll be able to talk more about the MLB. Hopefully, it's it's still continued and the Marlins have their situation figured out. Next episode, we'll also be able to talk about the NBA restart. We'll be a couple games in. By the time we get to this next episode, just closing in on the playoffs or the, the new playoffs that they'll have, we'll see who's in, who's out, and what some of the possible matchups that we'll have there. And then we'll also be closer to actual practices on the field for these NFL teams as well as we also continue my NFL predictions as we have two divisions left. We have the AFC and NFC South, and then we have the AFC and NFC East. So we have to finish those off as well. Hopefully we'll get to my NFL Top 100 as well as we continue to do these podcasts. But thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. Stay safe out there. And that is the final final.